Ah, if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 this morning, I want to talk to you about courage in hard places. And I know some of you may be in a hard place today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker in God's service, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one could become unsettled by these trials. For you know very well that we are destined for these trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you we would be persecuted. Well, it turned out that way, just as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. In other words, how are you doing? I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labor for you might have been in vain. But old Timothy has now come back and brought us a good report, good news about your faith and your love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecutions and bad days, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. So what do you do when your world caves in? How does a Christian respond when hard times come? What can we do to keep our faith strong? Every one of us in this room and those of you watching online, all of us face those questions because all of us go through deep trials. Well, I haven't, Brother Rick. Well, guess what, sweetheart? Coming soon to a theater near you. In this world, you will have trouble, trials. Jesus said so. I don't care if you glow in the dark as a Christian. You'll have some dark days. It's going to happen to you. So be prepared. See, eventually we all will. And when that happens, everything you believe is on the line. Everything. You know, many years ago, I learned an important truth that holds me to this day. When hard times come, be a student and not a victim. Over 20 years have passed since that day. And I still regard that simple sentence as one of the most profound things I ever heard. Some people go through life as professional victims, always talking about their problem, how they've been mistreated. But perpetual victimhood will doom you to a life of self-pity, self-centered misery, because apparently you've learned nothing from your trial. Anybody ever go through a trial and say, I won't do that again? You're good for you. That's called wisdom. And you get that as an experience of going through a trial. So what a difference it makes to be a student and not a victim. For example, a victim says, why did this happen to me? A student says, what can I learn from this? Secondly, a victim blames other people for his problems. A student asks, how much of this did I bring on myself? A victim looks at everybody else and says, life isn't fair. A student looks at life and said, what happened to me could happen to anybody. A victim believes his hard time has come because God wants to punish him. That's a terrible thing. A student understands God allows hard times in every life in order to get us and help us to grow. 
A victim would rather complain than find a solution. A student has no time to complain. He's busy trying to make the best of his situation. A victim feels so sorry for himself, he has no time for others. But a student focuses on helping others, so he has no time to feel sorry for himself. A victim begs God to remove the problems of life so I can be happy. A student has learned through the problems of life, God alone is the source of all true happiness. That's the true Christian perspective. We believe so much in the sovereignty of God that when hard times come, we know God is at work for our good and his glory. Everything that happens to us isn't good for crying out loud, but God says he will work it for our good Uh and his glory. I have to believe that. 1 Thessalonians 3, those first eight verses I read, Paul writes to some new believers who now found themselves in great difficulty being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And the text shows us how Paul reassured them from this passage. And I want to show you maybe five or six truths about hard times. Let's look at the first one. All of our trials are unsettling. You know, he said, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy to you, our brother, fellow worker in spreading the good news of Jesus to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that you would not be unsettled by the trials. I mean, there's nothing like having your auditor give you a bad report or having the doctor say, hey, the x-ray showed this, and something in that moment unsettles you, right? No, not you. Of course not. You're just calm as you can be. Or you get called into the office, and you've been with a company 20 years, and you get a pink slip. Maybe they're downsizing, and maybe business is down, and you're let go. How many of you think that might be unsettling? Well, of course, all right? See, the Greek word for unsettled means to wag the tail. (laughs) It has the idea of being shaken by circumstances so you fall away from the right path in life, knock you off course. So when I look through the New Testament and all the teaching regarding trials, two truths come to the forefront. Number one, trials are common to every believer, every believer. Nobody's exempt. Nobody gets a trouble-free ride to heaven. You look around here and everybody's co well, some of you aren't, but are all co-fured, looking nice, got the makeup on, aftershaves looking good, feeling good. You don't know what's going on behind that. You have no idea what some people are carrying, and we never know. And the best people never ever show it anyway. But you can bet nobody gets an exemption-free pass card out of trouble. And second, your particular trial isn't as important as how you respond to it. Now, that's a revolutionary thought to an American. Often we focus intently on the details of our difficulty as if that difficulty is the most important thing in the world. And it might seem so at the moment, but it's not true. God is a lot more concerned with how I respond than the trial itself. Because most of the time, you and I don't have a choice about bad things that happen to us. Usually, they happen without rhyme or any... Where'd that come from? I didn't see that coming. Have you ever had that happen? But you can control how you respond in faith or in unbelief, in humility or arrogance, in forgiveness or in anger, in hope or in despair. So our trials often come with very little warning. 
a guy named Nabil Qureshi was interviewed on American Family Radio about a book that he wrote. It was called No God But One, Allah or Jesus. He was raised in a Muslim family. And Nabil became a Christian after reading the New Testament and encountering the claims of Jesus. During the interview, he sounded strong, confident, all of his answers. Well, that was on Thursday. The following Tuesday, he announced he had been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And the prognosis was grim. But that's how life is sometimes. One day, you're announcing your new book. A few days later, you're fighting for your life. We never know, right? And James tells us, I'd like to talk to James about this when I get to heaven. He reminds us, and James went, not like you, of course not. Certainly you wouldn't count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'm thinking, James, are you on weed? What, what are you talking? Are you in the real world? And I'll explain what that means later, and you'll see he's not counting it joy that I'm in a real mess. It's who's with me in this mess and what he's promised to do for me in this mess. That, that's why. Okay, we're not there yet. Hang on. So that's not possible if I'm focused on the trial itself. But if I shift my focus to God, then I can find joy even in the worst moments of life. I've always claimed in the worst trials in my life, Philippians 1, 6, just quietly to myself, that which I've begun in you, I'll perform it to the day of Jesus. So it might look like all hell has gone online against you, like there's no escape possible. God says, if I began it, I will finish it. I don't care what circumstances occur between my promise and the fulfillment, I will get you there. If I have to put you in a fish, I'll get you there. If I have to open the Red Sea, I'll get you there. If I have to make you a fruit-bearing woman at 90 and a husband who's 100, I'll do that. I'll make the sun stand still. I'll back it up 10 degrees. Get a bigger vision of what God said. If he made the promise, circumstances don't matter. See? Secondly, our trials are appointed. I don't like that one either. He says, you know quite well that we were destined for them. That's verse 3. Well, they didn't happen by accident. In fact, This is the opposite of chance or circumstance. Dr. Roy Zuck years ago made a good statement. He said, for the child of God, there are no accidents, only incidents. Now, that might be one of the best one-sentence summaries of Romans 8.28 I've ever seen. Incidents? Yeah. Trouble? Yeah. Heartache? Yeah. Difficulty? Oh, yeah. Disappointment? Yes, yes, yes. Losses, yes. Failure, yes. Accidents, no. There are no accidents with a child of God. Only incidents appointed by him for our good and his glory. Everything that happens in the world is either caused by God or, here's the one that trips everybody up, allowed by God. God does not intervene in everything. If it's for his purpose, he will. If it isn't, it runs its own course. So if God allowed it, he's still with me, he's still for me, and he will work it, Romans 8, 28 says, for my good and his glory. So get your thumb out of your mouth and quit sucking the pacifier and drinking Maalox and realize if God allowed it, it's going to make me a champion. I've got to get through this thing and believe what he said, even though I feel like my life's falling apart at the moment, right? Buckle up, buttercup. Come on. Expect turbulence ahead. Fasten your seatbelt. Are you okay? I, don't, I, it, I mean, the American Christianity thinks 
lollipop, lollipop, oh, lollipop. I thought, you goofy, where did you get that? This is a fight. This is, this is battlefield earth. And we're probably living in, in my many, many years of living. It's a tough season in our world and in our country and in parents and schools and government and politics. Dear God, people have lost their mind. I mean, it's crazy, right? It, whatever your particular preference, you'd have to say, this world's kind of gone nuts for the moment. It's kind of lost its focus, and I don't know. They've lost their bearing and heading, and I don't think they know where they are. So I have to know either God caused it or God allowed it for his own, my good, and his glory. But there's no third category. Nothing ever just happens, and nothing is caused by someone or something outside of God's control. That means there's no such thing as chance, luck, or fate. And let me pause. You remember the guy named Job? Here's what God said about Job to the devil, so you could be encouraged. He says, hey, devil, have you considered my servant Job? He's the most righteous man in the earth, and he was the richest man in the earth. And Satan said, yeah, well, sure, he loves you because he's rich. You take all that away from him, he won't. He'll curse you. And God says, okay, there's a test going on, but poor Job does not know he's the test. I'm reading the Bible. Job wasn't. But God's letting me see. The enemy said, I'll shake him loose from you. I'll take away his wealth. I'll take away his assets. I'll take away his kids. I'll take away his property. I'll even take away his health. And God says, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. So if you think Satan's not on a leash, think again. He can't take any more bite out of you than God allows. And God goes on to say, I will not allow more to be placed on you than you're able to bear. So if God made you, designed you as a structural engineer, he knows the load you can carry. So don't ever say, I can't take any more. God says, oh, yeah, watch. I'll show you can. I don't ever pray that. Now, the third great truth regarding hard times is our trials are necessary. Verse 4. Paul says, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you we would be persecuted. Well, it turned out that way, just like you know. Some people can regard that as a negative, but to me, it's positive. I personally have much more confidence in somebody who expects the probability of trouble and prepares for it than somebody skipping through life singing, everything's coming up roses. Put some margin in your life. Don't, don't go off with an empty gas tank. One of my daughters, well, probably both of them, but one's grown up now, but I can remember, uh, Dad, I need some gas. And I get in the car, the gas light comes on, it's laying on E, and I'm thinking, dear God, how far is it to the gas station? Will I even make it? You know, I, I, I mean, sweetheart, I gave you a gas card. It, you know, when it gets about a quarter of a tank, pull over and gas up. Put some margin. I don't, I'm getting in the car to go help you, and I don't have any margin, and I don't know when the time's going to run out. And I'm going to be out there on the highway alone. So I like margins. And men, I guess a lot of you would be the same way. I don't wait till the last minute to get to church. I, there could be an accident. There could be some, so the car battery suddenly doesn't start. I like to have margins. I'm a military guy. I'll be anything but late. Never will I be late, ever. 
Half this church comes in 20 minutes late. We could be giving out $100 bills to everybody the first 10 minutes, and I'd be safe. We went, no worry about it. Okay. I'm venting privately. Okay. So the truth is, every rose has got thorns. And the sooner you understand it, the happier you'll be. After that ice storm hit us, and we were without water and power for a week. And then we lost two water heaters, uh, tankless water heaters. We had a pipe blow up in the ceiling over the master bedroom, water pouring down in the bedroom in there out of the vents. One outside blew out. Oh, it was a mess. And I remember saying this, I can't change this, but I can change the future. I said, this will never happen to me again. Now, I'd like to fix the power company that allowed our equipment to be non-updated or serviced. That could have been done prior to the problem, but it wasn't. But I can control my part. So I made some changes and said, if it happens again, that won't happen to me again. I hope you approach your hard times that way. I'm going to strengthen myself. I'm going to prepare for the, what I hope doesn't happen, but if it does, got it covered. I remember, you know, if you have a single-engine airplane, the instructors will usually tell you in training, hey, while we're up here doing our maneuvers, always be, when you're flying somewhere, always be looking for a place to put this sucker down in case the engine quits. Be looking for a flat place that looks like it might be safe. You don't want to land in the forest. One of my instructors says, when you're flying in a single-engine airplane in the mountains with trees in night, and the engine quits, turn on the landing light. If you don't like what you see, cut it off. Because <laughs> you're still coming down. <laughs> Romans, Romans 5, verse 3 and 4 spells out how the process works. We also rejoice in our tribulation because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Now, we all want hope, but we don't want affliction if you want hope to flood your heart, God says it starts with affliction, a problem, trouble that leads to endurance. I got to press through this thing, making me stronger, that produces proven character that results in the Holy Spirit filling us with hope. It's going to be okay. Now, let me go back to that guy I mentioned, Nabil Qureshi. When he announced his cancer in a Facebook post, he went on to give his testimony. Here's what he said In the past few days, my spirits have soared and sunk as I pursue the Lord's will and consider what the future might look like now. But never once have I doubted this, that Jesus Christ is Lord. His blood has paid the ransom for my sin, and by his wounds I am healed. I have firm faith that my soul is saved by the grace and mercy of the triune God and not by any merit or accomplishment of my own. I am so thankful I am a child of God, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit, so that in the midst of this storm, I don't have to worry about my salvation. And for that, I praise you, God. Now, that's sort of the faith Paul had in mind in Romans 5. We need to remember that trials are not entirely negative. They may, in fact, be a sign we're in the will of God. Thomas Constable has a very helpful word at this point. He says, when trouble comes, Christians often react by doubting they are where God wants them to be. They often think that they've done something wrong and that God must be displeased with them. 
And that's tragic. Even mature Christians often react this way, as evidenced by Paul's word of reassurance to Timothy years later. He said, everybody wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, going to get some persecution. Suck it up, deal with it, it's going to happen. Yet storms often come to believers to make them able to stand firm rather than blow them away. Listen, years ago, gosh, I don't know, a long, long time ago, in our early days of church, we had an employee here that had no insurance, wouldn't, didn't want to spend money on insurance, had twins, two little twins, new birth, and one of them was diagnosed with leukemia. And what was, what was tragic was the first thing the parents said is, what have we done wrong? These were dedicated Christians. I thought, where did that guilt come from? You didn't put leukemia on that baby. And then people, Christian people would come in and say, well, I don't know why this happened. I wonder what they've done wrong. Why do we always go there? Guilt, shame, and condemnation comes from the enemy. God says in Romans 8, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Shut up. That's why Jesus put some people out of the room when he raised that little girl from the dead. He said, get these people out of here. They're full of doubt and unbelief and condemnation. It may be just to show himself strong on your behalf. And I remember hearing that, and I was so mad, so I didn't want to go up during visiting hours. I went up at midnight, right over in the medical center, where both the husband and wife were there sucking their thumb and uh, whining about, what? Why has this happened to us? What have we done wrong? So you haven't done anything wrong. You've been attacked by the enemy. This child is innocent. You have a legal right to have healing and deliverance, but you've got to fight. Now get up, pussycat, and let's fight. And I said, I'm going to pray, and I'm mad, so I'm praying good. It's short, but it's good. And I rebuked that foul thing. And guess what? They had three pathologists check those children, and the pathologist couldn't find a single cancer cell in those babies. They're all grown, married now, and have a productive life. But it all started with a bunch of people saying, I wonder what I did wrong. Maybe you're doing something right. Somebody said, what's the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I said, trouble. You want to be a spirit-filled believer? You're going to have some, some opposite. The enemy's going to make you a target. Why would the enemy waste his time with limited resources on somebody who is not a danger? Would you? I wouldn't. You're going to go for strategic targets, just like the military. And so if he's got his eye on you, either you're involved in something that's a threat to his domain, or he sees something in your future that's a threat to his domain. And he wants to snuff it out as quick as he can. There's a fourth truth we need to remember when hard times come. Our trials are dangerous. Paul says, for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith, to see how you're doing. I was afraid in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts towards you would have been useless. So Satan tempts us to drop out during our trial. Why me? And God must not love me. Oh, come here. I want to slap you into, into sobriety. See, Paul knew that was a possibility for these people. That's why he was worried about them. They're young believers. They don't know much, but he knows the enemy. So how does the enemy tempt us in hard times? I can think of three. Maybe you can throw some in there too. Three, three reasons. Number one, first, he tempts us to doubt God's goodness. He whispers in our ear, God's forgotten you, baby. He doesn't care about you, sweetheart, and that he isn't good. Oh, and then we just fold up like an accordion. Second, he tempts us to retaliate against others with anger and resentment. 
That's one of his favorite tools when hard times involve problems with people, friends, family members. And third, he tempts us to give in to despair and discouragement. All of us have felt discouragement, but I'm not going to give in to it. Maybe we're sick and we feel like we'll never get better again. Maybe we've been through a divorce and we feel rejected and alone. Maybe we've lost a job and feel like, well, now at this point in my life, I'm not qualified to do anything. I may not get hired. And all of those things lead to the ultimate act of desperation where we give up our faith in God altogether. And that's what Paul feared for the Thessalonians. He worried that under pressure, they would crumble and give up on God. Hard times eventually wear you down, don't they? Yeah. And little by little, we kind of lose the joy we once had. Under pressure, we start sometimes to give in to bad habits, wrong attitudes, and we begin the long downhill slide in the wrong direction. You know, simply having Bible knowledge doesn't save you from the consequences of bad decisions. It won't. We can become captive to any vice if we respond wrong in those dark, hard times. And number five, our trials are productive. He says, but Timothy has just now come back to us from you. And he brought good news about your faith and love. And he's told us you always have pleasant memories about us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Well, here Paul plainly says that we can overcome our trials by faith. What kind of faith does he have in mind if you're in a dark place? Faith in God's character. He's good. He makes no mistakes. Second, faith in God's word that it's true regardless of circumstances. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. I can stand on that. Faith in God's purpose, that he's conforming me or you to the image of Jesus Christ. Faith in God's promises, that he will never leave you, never forsake you. Faith in God's presence, that he's with us in the darkest moments of life. And faith in God's power, that he can deliver us from every trial. There's one kind of faith, of faithfulness, that helps us in hard times, and that is the shared faith of God's people. So many people struggle because they try to handle it all by themselves. They don't want anybody to know. Probably pride, but we get hit by it. But God never intended you should walk through a lonely valley by yourself. He says two are better than one. A threefold cord's not easily broken. God sets the solitary in family, Psalm 68. So this is a note, I want to read it, just a couple of sentences here, from a young lady who found her way back to God after a long time out in the wilderness. And she said, Dear Rick, I felt I should tell you a little bit of a story in hopes it might help somebody else. Whenever I t tell others about my rough road back to Christ from a non-Christian relationships, the one question I'm always asked is, what would have helped make my road back a little easier? And my answer was, during my time of spiritual loneliness, if I had had a sister in Christ seek me out and tell me, sweetheart, I've been there. I love you. I can help you find your way back to Jesus. She says, perhaps I could have been spared a lot more pain than having to discover the answers all on my own. She then adds this. She says, Jesus is never tolerant of sin, but always willing to forgive it. If my experience can help somebody else, feel free to use this information. Well, I'm glad to share it because it's very encouraging, and it reminds all of us again that we grow stronger as we lean on each other. If you're having a hard time keeping your head above water, 
Tell somebody else. Don't fight the battle alone. Let the Lord minister to you through the resources of the body of Christ. And let me pause and say this. Maybe you just had a bad diagnosis health-wise. Hey, in a large church, we got people that have already had it, been through it, and are okay. We need to put you in a support group. Find people who have been through what you've been through. Maybe you've gone through an ugly divorce. Maybe something you never thought would happen. Maybe you've been diagnosed with stage 3 cancer or what's going to happen. I can imagine the unsettled trauma. But he's saying, hey, don't do this by yourself. Get some encouragement from people who have already been to this rodeo and got a T-shirt. We've had people face bankruptcy. We've had people with legal issues come through it. We've had people face the death of a child, anything like it. They'll know how you feel. They'll know what, what it feels like if you're having treatment. What were the thoughts you had? Did you feel this way? Did you feel despair, like giving up? I don't know about you, but that's encouragement for other people to keep you in the race, to keep you focused, to keep you from being despair. Don't, don't minimize that. I, it's a silly one, but I use it sometimes just as fun. If you're going to have your first baby, who are you going to talk to? You're going to talk to your bar, Barbie doll hairdresser? You're going you're to talk to one of your friends that hasn't even got a stretch mark? Are you going to talk to somebody that looks like an 18-wheeler rolled over her about four or five times and got three or four kids? I'd be saying, Gladys, come on, tell me the real truth. What's this going to be like? How long is this thing going to take? How much is this going to hurt? How much medicine am I going to need to kill this pain? How do you spell epidural? All right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. We've had people... We've had people even people going to a partnership. I said, don't go into a partnership without counting the cost. Talk to some of our CPAs and attorneys and people in here, Randy Ross and others, and give you some good advice on what to be cautious about, what can go wrong, right? You need encouragement from others. And if you have a friend going through it, every day, you know, a text or something, hey, how you doing? How you feel this morning? Uh, I'm thinking about you, or maybe they send you a a prayer or a scripture just to give you a little boost up. It means a lot to have that kind of encouragement for other people. Verses 7 and 8 reveal another way in which our trials are productive. Paul says, therefore, brothers, in all our distresses and all of our persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really are living since you are standing firm in the Lord. Here's the final truth about hard times. Everybody needs to know it. You never suffer alone. Our friends watch to see how we're going to respond to tragedy. They want to know if what we say we believe is real. And they want to find it out in hard times. And further way in the distance, others are watching what we go through. And many of them you'll never know. Maybe they're unbelievers. They're not followers of Jesus yet. And they wonder if Christ is real. They don't know. They aren't sure. Maybe they've read the Bible. Maybe they haven't. But they're watching how we respond to mistreatment, a setback, what we didn't expect, malicious accusation, sickness, a bad diagnosis, the loss of a job, the end of a marriage, a career setback, or a financial collapse. And they're watching from the shadows as we suffer to see if we, what we have is real or not. In this case, the great apostle drew strength from the courage of new believers. Although he had come to minister to them, by them standing firm in hard times, they were ministering to him. Paul said, I can face my trials because I see how well you're facing yours. Back in 1995, Scott O'Grady, 
was flying his F-16 over Bosnia in a no-fly zone patrolling, was shot down by a SAM missile. He survived six days behind enemy lines before rescue. And he said he gained encouragement in a few dark he lost his canteen of water. He, he had the enemy around him. He had to remain silent, not move, lest he be discovered. And he said he remembered listening in survival school, and some of the lessons, like coming to church, suddenly started to come back to him to help encourage him in this mess that he was in. And then he thought about how far he had to go to get away from the enemy lines to get help, and he remembered one of his other pilots who had also been shot down with a broken leg who crawled over five miles in rain and mud over time to get to safety. And he said, I remember thinking, if he could do that, I can do this. That's how you gain encouragement from people who have been through it, who survived what you're going through, maybe in worse conditions. So a lot of people are going through hard times right now, and in the last few weeks, I've heard about prodigal children, aging parents, worries about the future, divorce, breast cancer, an infant with serious medical conditions, children far from God, Christians dealing with doubt, others with fear, still others with lingering bitterness from bad treatment or something that happened. God's ordained that the trials are part of His plan to make you and I like Jesus. No shortcuts to spiritual maturity. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. You can have an easy life or you can have deep faith, but you can't have both. There's no gold without the fiery furnace. There's no muscle without moving weight in the gym. Our hard times are designed to bring us closer to the Lord. I like what the psalmist says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Let us, therefore, endure our trial with grace and courage, knowing that in the end, the clouds will part and the sun will shine again. Folks, we have a great God who loves us more than we know, and we look to Him to find strength that we need in our trial. And when your trial's over, and I guarantee you, it will end, you'll come forth like gold. That's how God builds champions. There's no quick fix, no easy way no sprinkle dust on you. It'd be nice, but it doesn't work that way. So you get through it, and you're going to be tough as nails. You're going to be hard to kill. I know that sounds a little bit brutal in church, but the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You want to get so tough, you're hard to kill. The enemy has to have second thoughts about messing with you. He'll mess with somebody passive, easy to distract and discourage. So if we lose our focus, we'll get disoriented and crash and burn. Don't. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.